Welcome back to the Mountains in the Sea, where we find the highs and lows of each and every Prince album every other week. I'm Christy. This is Josh. And we're so glad that you're back with us today. Today. It's a blackout. It's a blackout. We are finally rounding out our 1994 and 1995 series of episodes. Yes, this is it. This and is- it sort of isn't it. We're easing our way out of it. Yeah. We decided we would cover the Black Album now because it was released in 1994, finally, even though it was initially intended to be released at the end of 1987. Yes. And it did not get released. Prince no, it did, not. did not want it released ever, I don't think. But I don't know. Um, it depends on how much money you offer him. A <laughs> million dollars is evidently that enough. <laughs> That's the going rate for eight songs. It was supposed to be released December 8th of 1987. Correct. And Prince pulled it just a week or so yes. prior. Yep. December 1st, according to Prince Vault. Mm-hmm. I guess we better give some credit to Prince Vault oh. up front. Oh, yeah. And always. And always. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So, and this was just nine months after the double album, Sign of the Time. So, yeah. there was a little bit of trepidation over releasing a new collection of songs anyway, just nine months after a double album. But... Because the plan was for it to be released with no credit to Prince whatsoever, just a black sleeve and a catalog number. Uh-huh. Warner Brothers was going along with it and had hundreds of thousands of vinyl records and CDs pressed and cassettes ready to go. Boy, I bet his Warner Brothers handler was super frustrated with him. I'm sure it was difficult, but um, I don't know. When you deal with very talented people, sometimes they pose very large problems. This is true. It did eventually get a release, November 22nd of 1994, which is why we are covering this right now. now. Yep. And it was not sold after January 27th of 1995. Is that correct? Was it the 27th? I have it in my notes somewhere in January in 1995 that they Warner Brothers pulled it and sold it no more. And now you can find it on Tidal. That's the only place that it's streaming. Yes. And you can purchase it there too. Yes. It didn't do terribly. For Considering an album. that it was n- no singles, no videos, no no credit of Prince. to Prince, yeah. yeah, it made it to forty-seven on the Billboard Top Two Hundred and eighteen on the Billboard Top R and B charts in nineteen ninety-four. Yes, right. yep. Also of note, most of the songs were recorded between nineteen eighty-six, October of nineteen eighty-six, and March nineteen eighty-seven. Um, so it really did overlap with Sign of the Times a great deal. But the first song was recorded in September 1986. That was Super Funky Califragia Sexy. Mm-hmm. And the very last song recorded for the album was When Two Are in Love in October 1987, just two months before the album was to be released. Yes. So it's known as the Black Album. It's also known as the Funk Bible. Yes, I was going to say, I think that's... Was an original working title? Yes, and it was in a press release that was released shortly before the intended release date and in a hidden message in the album itself, which we'll get to. Yes. And it seemed to be, the whole thing was a collection of songs, not really a thematic album, but um, kind of an answer for Prince to the critique that he had become too pop-oriented and had lost, quote-unquote, lost his black audience. So was this Prince's... First version of Hit and Run? Since it was oh, a collection. Since it was just a collection of songs. I guess you could say that. Sure. Yeah. It was his 80s version of Hit and Run? Yes, yeah. sure. Yeah, that's a good way to think of it. Hadn't thought of it that way. Yep. 
Yeah. He um, did play these songs. He played them throughout the Love Sexy Tour. You know, the Love Sexy Tour had a kind of evil, sexual, bad side first half and then a spiritual second half. Yes. And a lot of these songs were played in, in the, the evil f- half. Yes, in the evil half. Yep. I guess we should talk a little bit about the elephant in the room, which is why he decided to pull the album. <laughs> yes. Which is fairly confirmed that it was a trip that he had after taking ecstasy. Yes. That, uh, he had a bad trip. He had a bad trip. On the day he met Ingrid Chavez. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he decided that the album was spiritually evil. And that Love Sexy would be the answer to it. So he immediately went to work on it instead. In an article in Rolling Stone in 1990, Prince had this to say about the Black Album. I was very angry a lot of the time back then, and that was reflected in that album. I suddenly realized that we can die at any moment and we'd be judged by the last thing we left behind. I didn't want that angry, bitter thing to be the last thing. Which I can... Respect? Uh, Okay. I can respect it. I don't know. I think it was just a reason that he landed (laughs) upon because we know now that he is gone. It wouldn't have been the last thing ever heard from him anyway because we're still hearing new things that were recorded decades ago from him to this day. So his decision made this album... The most bootlegged album of all time, yeah, uh, at least true. at least since the Beach Boys' 1967 album called Smile that was widely bootlegged. And then uh, you mentioned Rolling Stone. There were a lot of celebrities, including The Edge and Bono, who cited the Black Album as one of their favorite albums of 1988 in Rolling Stone <laughs> magazine, even though it was never okay. officially released. So it was so widely bootlegged. Mm-hmm. That in 1987 and 1988, a bunch of major publications did reviews of it. Sure. Yeah, because <laughs> it was then out there. when they reviewed it again, when it was officially released, it was writing it from the perspective of everybody's already heard this. Yeah. And how has it aged? Yes. And I mean, it wasn't that long of a time period. It seemed like forever at the time that I remember <laughs> yeah. from the beginning of 88 to the end of 1994. In fact, Warner, I forgot about this. Warner Brothers ran an ad in the back of Billboard magazine <laughs> yes. when this was released, offering a free copy of the official release in exchange for your bootleg copy. And had I known that, I would have gladly sent them my crappy cassette for a free CD, but I did not see yeah. Billboard magazine in 1994. Well, so, it was only the first thousand people. I would have been one of the first thousand. <laughs> if you'd seen the advertisement and if, you know what you would have done, you'd, have, copy you'd have made a crappy copy. <laughs> Just to send as it. a fallback. Yes. Yeah. Because what if you weren't one of the first yeah, thousand? Or what if it was a bait and switch thing? We're going to take your album that we're coming for the rest of your bootlegs. Yeah. That would have been a real concern. Mm -hmm. I think after listening to this official release a number of times for this episode of the mountains in the sea, I think I can safely say that I listened to my bootlegged hissy cassette copy of the black album that I got in 1998 through 1994, probably more 1998 to sorry, 1988 through 1994 more than I've listened to this official release from 1994 until now. At least a 50-50 split. Okay. Because I can still hear all the hisses and pops where they used to be. Okay. (laughs) When listening to the official release. Yeah. So I think this is probably the only Prince album that had 
three different release dates planned for it. The December 8th, 1987 initial planned release. And then in 1991, it was planned as a second disc of a planned greatest hits package that was supposed to be a let's take a timeout because Graffiti Bridge was not a very good movie, had a great soundtrack, didn't sell very well. Um, so maybe now's a time for a greatest hits package with the Black Album as a second disc, which would have been really cool. Right. Uh, but then Prince submitted Diamonds and Pearls, and that greatest hits package was canceled. Like they all knew there was something. Yeah. With commercial appeal and right. diamonds and pearls, with their, which they were very right about. And then finally, November 22nd, 1994, when it got an official release. Yeah. I went to import the CD that you bought way back in 1994 yep. into the computer. Yeah. Put it in this, a, an external CD drive. Uh-huh. And normally, iTunes, I guess it's Apple Music now, but yes. iTunes would come up with the track listing for you will auto populate the names of the songs and things. And Mm -hmm. I got a can't find the track names on the internet. I'm surprised. I'm surprised that there's not something in the, whatever it is, CDDB or whatever. There's an online database of that matches track links on CDs with track lists. And I'm shocked that that wasn't there. It was not. It, in fact, it asked me if I still wanted to import it in case it was, Oh, you know, dangerous, nefarious in some way. I think that Prince would say <laughs> it is. <laughs> say black, no. The black album is nefarious. Don't import it. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. So that was my last note on the so album. I went looking proper. to see when did I add it to my iTunes library, Apple music library, March 8th, 2004 at 12 59 PM is when I added it to my library. I do not remember having to add track names, but that was more than 15 years ago <laughs> that I ripped the CD. <laughs> That's what I listened to for this podcast. Okay. Long time ago. Yes. Wow. Only Very 10 long. years after it was released did I put it in my music library. So one last, last note before we get into the music. Let's talk about how valuable the surviving copies of the original pressing of the Black Ooh, Album are. Yes. Um, right after Prince's death in April of 2016, an original promo copy from 1987 sold on Discogs for a then-record price of $15,000, even though the music had been released already. And then, a year later, five copies were discovered in the U.S. with one of those selling for $42,000, which is insane. (laughs) And then just uh, about a year and a half ago, another copy, this is in June of 2018, another copy of the original album was found in Canada, And that one later sold on Discogs for $27,500. There's an original one up on eBay right now that I found that's listed for like $39,000. Jeez. So I don't know. I mean, it's a. Spend the $12 and go buy it from Title. Cool piece of history, but. um, It is a cool piece of history. I'm glad people are so excited about it. Yeah, and my guess would be that the estate will include this with a Sign of the Times or Love Sexy deluxe edition at some point too so we have not seen the last of the black album no i'm sure not i'm sure not all right it starts off with le grind i guess making it french is just cooler okay so here i have a theory about this actually i think it was because um he really 
loved France and they really loved him, particularly mm-hmm. after under the under, cherry moon. Yes, yeah. and that they used "lay" in the song title is support of that. And then he also has some French lyrics: "C'est mm-hmm. soi la chante yep. all night long tonight. Sing it. Yep. Yeah. And it also kind of sounds like enchanté, so which is enchanted. So tonight, enchanted all night long, mm-hmm. also makes sense. Thank you, my high school French. I was going to say get the- you were the only one of us who would be able to come up with that. <laughs> oh, it's been so useful. Yeah, you oh, had no idea that you'd be no cashing idea. in on that high school French class <laughs> <laughs> some twenty-five years later or more. So this was one of three songs from the album that were recorded for a birthday party that Prince was hosting for Sheila E. On a, at a party on December 11th. It was this song, Bob George, and Two Nigs United for West Compton. What a Prince move. Yeah, I don't Here's your birthday party. We're going to record some stuff. Yeah, let's work. <laughs> yeah. Although Sheila may or may not have been present for these original uh-huh. recordings. Her, her additions could have been done later. But yeah, just kind of a... Fun, weird fact that, um, you know, there were these songs that he put together for a birthday party for, for Sheila E. Yeah. Now it opens with a, like a Halloween wind sound effect. <sighs> like spooky electric is in the house. Uh-huh. That's probably not far off. Yep. And the beat kicks in and we get the hidden message that's where the album got its nickname, The Funk Bible. Mm -hmm. For so many years, I sat trying to... I mean, it's hard enough to understand on the officially released version. Uh, Try listening to it with like 30% more hiss in the background (laughs) and it was almost uh, impossible. I could not understand it. I, I got... So you, I thought it was, so you finally found me, but the lyrics online say, so you found me, mm-hmm. but I heard, so you finally found me good. I'm glad. And that is the end of what I could understand. Oh, okay. Growing up listening yeah. to this thing, despite, you know, probably doing permanent damage to my ears trying to figure it out. <laughs> so So he goes on to say, this is Prince, the cool of cools. Some of you may not know this, but some of you may know. Some of you may not want to know. He's got us all covered. (laughs) We are here to do service. Please don't try to stop us, for we come regardless, for we are as strong as we are intelligent. So come vibe with us. Welcome to the Funk Bible, the New Testament. So it was nice. clear that this was supposed to be the opening of the album and introducing, you know, what he's calling your guide to funk. Yes. It's a party song. Yeah. Up and down, up and down, on the beat, y'all, like a pony would. Do ponies have particularly good rhythm? This is the start of Prince's obsession with ponies and sexual acts. You know, he'd reference them in Alphabet Street and Cat's Rap. And later he references it in Horny Pony, the B-side to Get Off. So I guess maybe across the highway at Paisley Park, there (laughs) might have been a horse farm and there were lots of reproducing horses Uh, or or, ponies or 
they just had a good, maybe he went horseback riding and he mm-hmm. felt that beat. Yeah, well, we know he did. He's pictured on the back of a unicorn on his second album. So yeah. he not only rode horses, he rode Pegasuses, <laughs> not a unicorn. There wasn't a horn on it. It had wings. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So he had a lot of, uh, yeah, horses in his life mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, it's all about getting on the dance floor and dance floor and having a new dance, and he calls it grinding. Uh huh. Yeah. Le grind. Le grind. And horn dog prince is there. Is that your boyfriend? <laughs> I don't care. Yes. Is that your boyfriend? <laughs> I don't care. I can do tricks he can never do. When I get naked, we'll see the real you. would say there's a difference between naked and naked naked <laughs> naked means you don't have any clothes on and naked means you don't have any clothes on and you're up to something <laughs> prince was up to something <laughs> yes yes he was then we get a fun double entendre okay uh piano man yeah which we assume is prince yep Put it where it feel good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and then there's a, a piano bit featured. Yeah. So, like at but two it's, minutes and 28 seconds, there's yeah. like this breakdown and yeah, like some piano soloing. Yeah, which is cool. Very. It, fe- it feels good there, but he's obviously making a sexual reference as well. Yeah, there's a lot of put it where it feels good kind of references throughout this thing. Mm-hmm. And some very 1999-like chanting of party. Mm-hmm. Party, party, So we hadn't heard that since 1982's 1999, the party chants. Yes. At about three minutes and 58 seconds, it's sort of a nod to Sexy Dancer, where he gives us the... <laughs> yeah. Fun. Yeah. I really like he's this fun crowd interaction with the party and stuff like that. But he says, boys, girls, and all you others. Yes. I'm like, oh, that's kind of a like neat thing. It's very non-binary mm-hmm. before non-binary was really a thing. True. I thought that was um, cool and kind of progressive. and It definitely was. And then asking, are you sure we're in the right place? There's a lot. This the album probably has more going on as far as background yeah. voices and party chatter and clutter going on than any other Prince album there is. Yes. I would say the NPG's album is similar. That's true. Exodus, as far as like background stuff going on, it includes but, like segues though, where it's all you know kind of poorly acted out and it kind of bleeds into the background of songs too. Where this is, there's no segues here, it's just all in the background. Like there's this yeah. party atmosphere, he's in a room full of his friends and they're just having a good time. Fair, yeah, yeah, not trying to make some kind of dramatic statement like Exodus a- tried to. <laughs> Yeah, he wasn't mashed potato girl. He wasn't really trying to make a, true, a statement. But, true, but, but that it wasn't was, a song either. It was no, a segue. No, it was a segue. You're yeah. true. Yeah. 
he he says something about Bonnie. I'm like, who's Bonnie? Oh, does, doesn't he say "nice hit, Bonnie"? Yeah, I think in part of it. Yeah. So of course I had to go. Yep. Looking for Bonnie. Sure. Bonnie Boyer, backup singer for Prince and Sheila E. She passed away of a brain aneurysm in 1996. Yes, um, and she also played keyboards and organs on the Sign of the Times tour, oh, okay. too, and in the Love Sexy Band, also. Okay. Yep, she was sort of a precursor to Rosie Gaines. I always felt like when mm. Bonnie left the band, when Rosie Gaines joined the band playing keyboard and with a voice like hers, that she was sort of the um, Bonnie Boyer 2.0. Oh, okay. And then we have uh, Serve It Up Frankie. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I looked up who Bonnie was. I got to find out who Frankie was. All right. Munez? <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> not at all. Okay. <laughs> it refers to DJ Frankie Knuckles, uh-huh. who is considered the godfather of house music. Yeah. Very cool, huh? Yeah. Yeah, he and gets a number of Serve It Up Frankies yeah, well, on this well, album and yes. also on Love Sexy. Yes, and mm-hmm. that's confirmed by Cat Glover. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Yeah, play the good stuff, man. Yep. Yep. So I thought this was just almost like an ultimate Prince party song, mm-hmm. a good it's album fine. opener yeah. where dancing and loving are going to go on all night long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's a fun song. Yeah. Maybe a little long. It's sure. like six minutes and forty-four seconds, but um, it kind of goes some places. It's good. It didn't. It didn't. The length of this one didn't bother me because yeah. it wasn't samey all over. Yeah, that's true. It yeah. did um, hit you with some different things. Yeah. So it comes to an abrupt end. Yeah, it does. And we get the opening of Cindy C. Yes. I wonder if you were born in the late nineties. And maybe became a Prince fan and you're now 20-something. Do you know who Cindy C. is without having to scramble to look it all up? I don't know. Maybe if you watch TV and see Rooms to Go commercials. I was just going to say, if you do, it's because you may have purchased some of her inexpensive furniture. Yes, you have a love seat from her collection. (laughs) So Cindy C. is Cindy Crawford. Yes. Supermodel. Um, I Never looked this up until we decided to do this episode about why he recorded the song. Okay. Um, I did not realize that it was supposedly a response to Cindy Crawford dancing with Prince and then not realizing it was him while they were dancing together. Oh, okay. Well, I read a couple of accounts. Okay. They have some different recollections about meeting in a nightclub. He purportedly invited the budding starlet to join him at his VIP table, and she refused. Okay. But she remembers dancing on the dance floor, seeing this tiny man next to her and realizing it was Prince. Mm-hmm. She she did. She said she knew it was Prince. Okay. But that was where the interaction ended. They danced, and then he left. Like they didn't he really... Did. Sure. They didn't really talk to one another. So... Interesting, because this song kind of positions her as someone who's to be paid for services uh, and for uh, yeah, her presence. Yeah, it definitely. It's portrays a diss track against Cindy Crawford to me. I mean, it's, it compliments her beauty, uh-huh. but also um, positions her as something for sale. Okay, I kind of see it differently. Okay, I kind of see it as he had this little fiction mm-hmm. that he came up with. 
after they danced together in a club Mm -hmm. because it's a lot of the details in this are not accurate. Oh, sure. So yeah, I know it's a, it's a thing of fiction, of course, because Cindy Crawford is, she's not a prostitute. Number one. Yeah. Nor has she ever been. No. So yeah, this is Prince's story. Of course. So that, that makes sense. Yeah. It was a little fiction sort of inspired by their encounter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, because it starts out, the song's about a high-class model over in Paris, France. Well, mm-hmm. the club they were in was Nell's, and it was in New York City. Okay. So... Yeah. Right there, we're given some information yeah. that this was an inspired sort of track by their interaction and not a retelling of it sure but of course where she made her um, mark is in the fashion capital of the world so that makes sense that's really where she was known to be from at the time or known where you could see her Mm -hmm. i don't want to overlook this frantic and purposely strange horn introduction to like an alarm going off before the song gets into the first verse It's one of the strangest starts to a print song, I think, mm. on record. So I just wanted to make sure we touched on that a little bit. Okay. And it's also the second song in a row without a real expanded chorus. Lagrine didn't really have a chorus. And here the chorus is really, yeah. oh, Cindy C. I'll pay the fee. Yeah. Will yeah. you play with me? Yeah, and that's insinuating that she's a sex worker. Yep. Yeah. Yes, I'll pay the usual fee. Yep. He mentions elderberry wine, and I was like, Uh what is elderberry wine? Why is it significant here? Mm, It's what your father smells like. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And your mother's a hamster. Right. I couldn't find any reason why this would Mm. be significant other than the fact that home winemakers find it easy okay it's like you're if you're gonna make wine at home elderberry wine is where you start oh okay well he also says i saw you in vogue or in the vogue Mm. as in magazine Mm and verse two and i knew you would be trouble A lot of the internet lyrics that I found have this listed as, I know you would be trouble, but why go? What I've always heard was, I knew you would be trouble from word go. Oh. Like from the beginning before we ever, I was like, that's what he's saying to me. So if you're out there on genius lyrics and want to make a correction, go for it. I can do that for you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. But elderberry wine maybe will unlock the secrets of your mind. Oh. So it's easy to make and is some kind of brain personality revealer. It's like a potion. Right. Yes. So even though he positions her as someone to be paid for her company, he also seems interested in getting to know her better, which is very Prince-like. Yes, because he asked her, Cindy, where'd you get that beauty mark? Right. And of all people to be asking, 
he should be one because he's got a matching one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, he should know. Yep. Yeah. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. That's right. Yeah. Or I kind of thought it was, because uh, well, he follows that up with, maybe you and I should be undressing. Like, we have this in common. <laughs> but- we both have a dark circular spot on our cheeks. Let's do it. <laughs> A match literally made in heaven. Right. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and that line leaves absolutely no doubt that this is a reference to Cindy Crawford. Yeah, for sure. No doubt. Yeah. We get another serve it up. Mm -hmm. This time it's serve it up Sheila. Yep. Then there's a couple of conversations happening. Prince yeah. is talking about how they should get together. Okay. And Kat is in the background mm-hmm. with some jealousy of Cindy. Yes. That is both unbecoming Shh. and very funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where Prince is saying, I'm talking about a long, crucial wait. Girl, if I have to beg, I'm going to see you in your birthday suit tonight. I'm talking about a long, crucial wait. Girl, if I have to beg. Kat is saying, Cindy C, listen, she's so tired. Look at me. She doesn't look as good as I do. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. There's some jealousy there. Yep. We get more French. Yep. Savoir-faire. Excuse my savoir-faire. Baby, I'm dying to take you everywhere. I want to show you the French. Which would show up again in seven. Right. Yeah. Wasn't the first time that he used that. Which means expertise. I had to go back and look it up. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, it means something about mind or being smart or something. And it's expertise. Yes. So it's almost right. Yeah. And then there's a rap at the end by Cat Glover. And Prince was going to reuse it in Positivity on Love Sexy. Yep. Until he learned... Not original. It had been borrowed from J.M. Silk. Yeah. From a song called Music is the Key. Yes, I went back and listened to it myself. Yes, I did too. It is um, hip to the hop, hip, hip to hop. <laughs> yes, it is. And if you'd, like to, if you'd like to hear that for yourself, you can find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, The Mountains and the Sea, a Prince podcast. You can find us on Twitter at TMATS, T-M-A-T-S podcast. Or you can send us an email, podcast at gmail.com. If you need me to shoot you a link to that, I'll be happy to do it. I didn't want to skip over Prince's frantic yells to Cindy for attention that precede Kat's rap mm-hmm. that was lifted from Silk, uh, where... He's saying, come on, Cindy, don't you want to play with me? What's the matter with me, Cindy? And you can hear Kat saying, nothing. And <laughs> Prince just like melting into a maniacal pool of his own sweat. fun very fun i thought this was very fun and i love the musical breakdown at like right at four minutes where you just get this keyboardy drum part (laughs) 
And then also a very brief guitar solo at five minutes and 15 seconds too that's worth going back and kind of paying attention to as you listen to it. Yeah, for me, like I've heard this so many times and I've heard it so many times in terrible quality that a lot of the details <laughs> of the music become a bit lost or I just, I hear them without listening because they're just part of the skeleton of the song that I've memorized already. Mm-hmm. So going back and studying it is kind of a neat experience. Oh, good. Yeah. Song three. Oh, can I also mention oh. before song three, Steve Silk Hurley. Uh, is on that source track for Music is a Key, uh-huh. and he also worked with Prince. Oh, He did a number of the remixes for Get Off from Diamonds and Pearls, some of which were on the Get Off maxi single, and a number of them are on a house cassette that leaked within the last year or two with additional Steve Silk Hurley remixes of Get Off. Oh, cool. Did a lot of work for Prince. So That's maybe I, I could not find how they met or what the connection was, but I wondered if... Uh, this little rap part that Prince found was his is what brought them together because it was on Cindy C and then it was also used on an unreleased version of Positivity from Love Sexy and was also later released too. Very cool. Yep. Now track three. Sorry about that. No, that's fine. Dead on it. Prince was not a fan of rap when he recorded the song. Not a lot of rap. Not a lot of rap, which is funny because he like worked on some projects that included rap. Prior oh, to this. Or, well, prior? Didn't Sheila E. have, like, a lot of rap in her stuff? Hmm. I don't know. He adopted, like, hip-hop and real rap in the years to come. Right. With the addition of Tony Mosley and T.C. Ellis and other rappers that he worked with. For sure. Maybe there was a el- small element of it in his music. I always thought dead on it. Not only did he not like rap, but he didn't like that it was popular and he knew that he could do it better and just hadn't gotten around to it is almost what it sounded like. Yeah. Uh, So this is, I think, his commentary on the whole genre. Yeah. Well, Wendy and Lisa did an interview with Questlove Mm -hmm. and they said that Chuck D and Public Enemies Fight the Power was the song that really started to bring Prince around Mm -hmm. to rap music that he heard it in 1989 at a party. And that was really where he started to change his mind and really recognize it as more of a mainstream valid sort Mm -hmm. of art form. But I can see why just the style of this, I can see why he thought of it as not a, legitimate form of music because this is very much DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince yes, style. Yes, it, it does sound like this that. This is like parents yeah. don't understand. Yep. Riding in my Thunderbird on the freeway. Riding in my Thunderbird on the freeway. I turned on my radio to hear some music. It's, <laughs> my name is Prince and I'm here to say <laughs> I turned on my radio to hear some music play. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. It is that that DJ Jazzy Jeff kind of style. It's a very like yeah. methodical sort of rapping. Yes, and it's all got a rhyme in the same place. And, and all the words are really very clear. It's a very right. light sort of message, which is fine. And no shade 
to parents don't understand. I thought it was funny. I remember listening to it, but it wasn't like a hard, it was novelty. It wasn't hard hitting. No, it was music. not street cred kind no. of hip hop or rap. No. A lot of people look back on this album and point at this song as being cringeworthy. Mm. I saw that a lot, but I find it pretty fun and kind of neat to hear, well, what would Prince have sounded like if he had been <laughs> uh, Steve Silk Hurley or J.M. Silk's music is the key? This uh-huh. sort of sounds like it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, he's on the... I, I interrupted your flow. You were riding in your Thunderbird on the freeway. You turned on your radio to hear some music play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then he, he says the only good rapper is one that's dead on it. Yes. And I'm like, like... Yeah, hmm, there's a there's pause a, there, right? There's a kind of... It's like, well, they're dead on it. So they've got it right. Or they're dead. I'm on it. I hope he's figuratively talking about how he's going to end the careers of these people. Yes, yes. But you're right. That pause there to say the only good rapper is one that's dead. Yeah, I'm going to end their careers. Yeah, there's no. And he's pretty sure that the audience is going to notice the rapper's problem usually stem from being tone deaf. See, the rapper's problem usually stem from... And once the audiences realize this and, you know, turn to Prince, that they're going to very quickly abandon them by the parking lots on fire, brothers peeling out on the town. Yep. You skipped a verse that I really wanted to touch on. Verse two, uh, where he talks about not just rappers but he gets more into where musical talent is that negroes from brooklyn play the bass pretty good but the ones from minneapolis play it like it ought to should <laughs> negroes from brooklyn play the bass pretty good but the ones from minneapolis play it like it ought to should a nap and fro is better when you got a blue bonnet and the two and fro is funky when the grease is dead on it and then i had to look this up because i never understood this lyric until I really, and I had no real reason to look up the real lyrics for Dead On It until this podcast, but where he says, a magnum froze better when you got a poof on it, but the to and fro is funky when the grease is dead on it. I was like, what is a magnum fro? It's a big hair shell. It's also a big hairy penis. (gasps) Oh, okay. But I think that he was talking about a large afro. Okay. But it can also mean. Yeah. Male genitalia. All right, then. Yeah, which may Did not know that. May have been purposeful. We get a reference to Holly Rock. Yes. I'm better than the Wicked Witch. Yep. I'm better than the Wicked Witch. What do you make of the knee licking bit? But who's paying the bills? If you don't want to lick my knees, show your mama will. I looked it up in Urban Dictionary to see if knee licking was something that I was unfamiliar with that I oh, should know. But I think it was just an unexpected thing that, you know, foreplay. Uh-huh. That it's, you got to take your time and earn your keep. Okay. As a musician and a rapper, and the same goes for pleasing your Lover. partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't believe me, try it once and stop. 
See okay. If, see if they're begging, please, please, please. All right, then. So I thought Prince felt pretty threatened by this thing that he didn't understand. He didn't really understand rap. And so he's making his feelings clear that he didn't particularly care for it by lampooning it. But yeah. he was also kind of trying to understand it by participating in it. He was almost hedging his bets like, I don't, this isn't the kind of music that I grew up with and it's not the kind of music that I make. So I'm going to make this song and I'll be a part of it that way. And if it takes off, I can say, well, I was doing it too back in <laughs> 1987. Oh, okay. That's how I thought of it as just a, I'm going to sort of dismiss it, but by dismissing it, I'm going to do it better mm. in my mind. Yeah. But my favorite line in the whole song is the one that's coming up next, the where he says, my bed's a coffin, Dracula ain't got on me. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that. I do like that a lot. Yeah. My bed's a coffin, Dracula ain't got on me. And the way he delivers it, when I was much younger listening to this in the late 80s, I didn't get where the line break was, where I thought that he was saying, my bed's a coffin, Dracula, ain't got <laughs> on me. I'm like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> like, like, well, he doesn't you got to put Dracula uh-huh. a little closer to the second part. There's like where it's split is uh-huh. purposefully done. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. And then he goes into full rap mode, right? Bragging about his possessions. And he's got a gold tooth that costs more than your house. I got a diamond ring on four fingers, each one the size of a mouse. Yeah. And he does this with a kind of, hey, guys, his little uh, gangster voices. Yes, it's back again. Especially at points where he goes, wow. (laughs) Yeah. He does that throughout the song. And he almost sounds like he's got a fake grill in his mouth (laughs) while he's delivering some of these verses, too. Okay. Then we have When Two Are In Love. This is the exact track as it appeared on Love Sexy. Verbatim. The only difference is it kind of has a different little segue at the beginning of it where it appears on Love Sexy, where here we just get the song as it was originally cut. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's the only song in Prince's catalog to appear on two albums in the exact same form. Yep. The uh, lone survivor from the Black Album to was, make it onto the... Which makes sense sexy. because it is kind of a weird, you know, you get the Legrand dance party song, Cindy C dance party song, dead on it, rap is not good, still kind of a party song. And then this very pretty mm-hmm. melodic ballad that's in the middle of this album. Yeah. Um, See, and this was really where it drove home that this was a collection and not an album. Sure. Because it seemed a bit of an awkward song to be in between Dead On It and Bob George. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, And like you said, we covered this in our very first episode of this podcast. Yes, we did. Um, And this is the exact same version. So I just noticed on this song now that from eight seconds to about 16 seconds, there's a keyboard part that kind of falls in pitch that to me kind of sounded like falling in love. No, very nice. This falling out of control into something that you have to sing about. But beautifully. Beautifully. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, since we've covered that before, 
We're not going to spend a lot of time on it. We don't need to. I just would say this kind of continues Prince and the mystique and sexuality and intimateness of, 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 of having baths. Because, you know, he invites them to come bathe with me. He does this. And when doves cry, he's got, I want to be the water in your bath from under the cherry moon. Interesting. Yeah. And I also wanted to point out where he sings L-O-V-E, L-O-V, can you hear me? Like at one minute and 55 seconds, that it's not the first time during this era that he left a letter off a word he's spelling or that someone Uh on his album is spelling. Yeah. Or we had... Alphabet Street, missing a letter. Yes. And here, E at the end of love is missing, and instead he says, can you hear me? Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah. That's good. All right, well, we're going to take a real quick break, and we'll be right back with Bob George. On the Story Song Podcast, we closely examine the story of famous story songs. We'll walk you through the lyrics you've heard a thousand times, but have never thought about. Leave it to us, because we overthink everything. Spread the word around. Guess who's back in town? Why is this my job? (laughs) Why is this on me now? I didn't even like those guys. (laughs) We discuss the history of the story songs you love. Show of hands. Who here knew that Rig Springfield was Australian? No clue. The Wikipedia article started with, you guys are not going to believe this. (laughs) The Story Song Podcast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for sticking with us through that quick break. Now well, we have Bob George. Yes, we're back with Bob George. Not- I said it, it seemed like we were going to have a special guest on the podcast. On the podcast, no. Boy, if you thought when two are in love was an awkward song next to dead on it. Have we got a treat for you coming out of when two are in love? Of course, this was side two, track one of the LP as it was originally supposed to be released. So on vinyl and cassette, you would hear Bob George, uh, Bob George as the opening song on side two. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What an opener. I know. Um, I would say that, you know, Prince described this album as evil and his reasoning for dismissing it or canceling it. And to me, this is by far really the only and probably most evil evil dark song on the album yes i would absolutely agree his Um, voice is slowed to a point where it's unrecognizable as prince yes people debated a lot was this prince prince was it uh one of his band members who was doing this but uh he portrays an abusive boyfriend questioning his lover's whereabouts and then mocking the guy he knows she's seeing who happens to be bob george yes but he doesn't stop there he also mocks himself in the process at times too (laughs) so i don't know kind of sparse and cold and mechanical sounding for the first half of the song with a monotonous beat and synthesizers with prince's altered angry yet somehow funny monologuing one of my biggest notes after re-listening to this song after doing this podcast with you for a year and three quarters is how often we've talked about the one-sided affair of many of Prince's ballads and that he's somewhat expectedly overlooking his own faults and a lot of his ballads about his heartache and that kind of thing. And here on Bob George, we have that same perspective. We hear Prince's side of the conversation, but the girlfriend he's berating is not heard from at all. We only hear his side of the story. Yeah. She is silent. Yeah. Um, So we only see the story from the maniac's point of view. (laughs) And even when Maniac, we get, yeah. you know, even when we get Mr. George on the phone with Prince, we only hear 
a squeaky, mousy sound on the other side of the phone call, no words. So even when he's talking to a guy he's got a beef with, it's Prince's point of view that Uh we see. Yeah. So as much of a ballad as this is not, it holds a lot of similarities to ballads we've covered. Yes. That's uh, on this podcast. Super fair. It did appear in every single Love Sexy tour show. It's like Prince knew people were familiar with it or a lot of the diehard fans that he had would would know it. Yeah. And those who didn't, it was easy to perform and understand. And it was kind of a treat to hear this unreleased, or in his mind, a treat to hear this unreleased song. Yeah. And as you said, this is the darkest part of this album. It makes sense that he would pull the darkest thing as something that he would cover to so deliberately contrast to the light of the, the love, love sexy. sexy shows. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So the character of Bob George is yeah. attributed to be a composite of Bob Cavallio. Oh, one of his managers, a former ant manager. Yeah. And Nelson George, a music critic who had been very supportive of Prince, but then soured. Now that I did not know. That's yes. where the name came That's from. That's where the name is purported to have come from. Okay. Yes. Boy, I mean, to Prince's credit, he does notice things about his girlfriend when she <laughs> walks in the room. <laughs> like the ring he didn't buy her. Or a new coat. Mm-hmm. That's nice. New coat, huh? That's nice. Did you buy it? I love how he knows he put- she doesn't have a job. He does. Yeah, he does pay attention. <laughs> he pay- notices the little things. <laughs> Prince He's does. going to slap her into the middle of the next week for him, for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, clearly he's onto her unfaithfulness from the beginning. He notices she's got a new coat on, but I love that he gives her a leading question. New coat, huh? That's nice. <laughs> Did you buy it? <laughs> you know, asking her questions that he knows the answers to. This is a very rhetorical song. Uh. Yeah, he's insinuating that you don't need to hear her side of the story. Yes, his questions and answering them for her are kind of enough for you to understand what's happening here. Mm -hmm. The narrator Uh is not Prince or Bob George. Okay, No, no, it's clearly not Bob George, but we know it's Prince singing. We know it's Prince singing, but the character is not Prince. Right. What's his name? Bob? What's he do for a living? Manage rock stars? Who? Prince? That skinny MFer with the high voice? <laughs> Who do I look like, baby? <laughs> Yesterday's fool? <laughs> yeah, that's where you know that it's not him because he takes a jab at himself yeah. and kind of removes him from being the person yeah. doing the berating. Yeah. Yeah. I Somebody, wrote this, and but this is a character. This is not me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he wants to make that himself clear. from the abusive nature of this guy. I also love, I pay the rent in this raggedy MFR. All you do is suck up food and heat. Uh-huh. And when he says heat, as a teenager listening to this, it kind of has a just sound at the beginning of it from his distorted voice. And it sounds like, all you do is suck up food and jeet. <laughs> That's I was like, food and what? what? What is she sucking up? What is jeet? All you do is suck up food and heat. There was no internet back then to try to figure these things out. And I also love the, for someone who can't stand them TV dinners, you showed me enough of them (laughs) MFers. 
That's great. It is great. Yeah. It's abusive. Well, there it's not even abusive. It's just like we're having an argument and I'm going to make a comment on your eating habits. Mm -hmm. And also who pays the bills around here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's some cool guitars. There sure is. It's right about the two minute mark where he's commenting about his pistol, his gun. Uh Uh-huh. And he says little. It might be little, but it's loud. Little. Yeah, right. It might be little, but it's loud. And somehow this little gun turns into a machine gun. Uh, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's like, I don't think it's a machine gun. It's more of a semi-automatic weapon. But yes. Okay. Semi-automatic weapon. Sure. But it's not a single shot little thing. Uh, no. So he has a gun. He shoots not at her because she doesn't die, we don't think. Oh, I think she does die. You think he kills her? I think he kills her. So he but shoots he, at her and tells uh-huh. her to put down her luggage That's and then <laughs> tells her because <laughs> she's leaving because he's an abusive SOB. Well, see, I was wondering, is she leaving or did she come home with a suitcase or she was busy packing while he was outlining how many TV dinner she eats and how the heat is on uh-huh. because he pays for it, and yet she sucks up all of it. So she's oh. throwing clothes in a suitcase. You think? During I think all she that? is. I think she's okay. like, I'm done with this. Okay. You know, Bob's where it's at. Yeah. Bob. Bob never accuses me. Bob of buys me rings and not not working. Yeah. yeah. Bob buys me rings and coats and yeah. You know, this guy just yells at me about <laughs> right. how much how many TV dinners I'm eating. Yeah. And so yeah, then he, he, but te- he wants well, her to then he tells her to go put on the wig that he bought her. Yeah. And okay. a specific one, so he's bought her more than one. So he is already fired at this point and she's still packing he, and yeah. Then, um, she's leaving yeah. and he tells her, No, no, no. Yeah. With the gun on her. Okay. And tells her to put down her luggage. Yeah. And then tells her to put on the wig. Right. And then she we puts hear, the wrong one on. He, yeah, he has her put on a different one. Yeah. And then he shoots again, and that's when we start hearing the police sirens and things. I yeah. think he kills her. Okay, because he does say at that point, I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> See, I didn't... Part of me did not think that that was saying, like, I, I shot you. I got you. I thought it was like, I've caught you in the act and you're mine now. Oh, you well, maybe. It, you, but he caught her, but he also killed her, her for it. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, yeah, you're right. Not only do the police come, but there's a helicopter. <laughs> there sounds like it's a train at one point, too. The police trains come to town. <laughs> train. Uh, So, and of course, Prince is also the cop. Yeah. You know, come on with your hands up. Come up with your hands up. And he shoots, uh, the character shoots, opens fire on the police. Uh huh, to escape. And, you know, then the police leave. Let's get the hell out of here. made me think it's not really an indication that prince understands how a police siege (laughs) works that you know when helicopters and domestic violence is involved that police don't leave just because you have a small but loud weapon yes (laughs) that's fair oh it was kind of a fundamental misunderstanding the police procedurals weren't quite as big of a thing in the late 80s as they are now so he didn't have a 
<laughs> Good. That's right. This is not Bob George Law and Order. <laughs> <laughs> and then he calls Bob George. He the, he fires on the police. They leave, and his next move is to pick up the phone, make a friendly call. <laughs> To, yeah, and the, we don't hear, as you mentioned, his side of the story. We hear like this high pitched. Is Mr. George home? Hello, Mr. George? Which is sped up the words operator, what city, please? Oh. Yeah, so if you slow it down, uh-huh. operator, what city, please? That's what and it is. All, and all of them are that way. So that you'll hear like different high, whiny. It, yeah. Chunks and it's layers of the same. Oh. Well, guess what else that I bet you if you go back and listen to uh, the first Madhouse album. Okay. You'll have the same sample of oh. a female operator saying, Operator, what city, please? And okay. it's in a Madhouse song. So okay. I never made that connection, never thought to slow it down. I thought that it was just gibberish. Mm-mm. No, so it's sped I'll up. bet you good money that it's straight for Madhouse. Okay. Okay. You can go back and look that up. Yeah. Which I was like, operator, he's talking to Bob George. Why is it the operator? But it didn't really matter what it said. It was just... It was another voice on the phone. It was another voice on the phone. Yeah. So there was an indie band called Dump, um, mm. who is primarily... Uh, guy by the name of James McNew, who's the bassist for another indie band called Yola Tango. And he put out a album of Prince covers called That Skinny MFR with the High Voice. I did not know that. <laughs> and he does covers of Prince songs, giving them the folk rock 90s treatment. Oh, cool. It's pretty fun. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, Is it on Apple Music? Uh, I don't know. know. You don't know. All right. I'm going to, when I hear I this, when I hear I this podcast later, I'll be looking it okay. up. <laughs> <laughs> He's very cordial in his phone call, though. Is Mr. George home? Hello, Mr. George? <laughs> he doesn't want him to hang up the phone. He wants to find out where he lives so you can go and give yeah. him the treatment like you just gave his girlfriend. That's right. Um, Since evidently the police are afraid of him and he can do whatever he wants. So your... Um, Research on how the song was named makes a little more sense here where he's asking, why can't you just leave MFers alone? What's wrong with you? Why can't we just dance? 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 Um, And then makes a comment. This is another part of the lyrics that I had to go back and look up again where I just could not remember what he said. I knew at one point what he said to Mr. George about the shape of his head, but then I had to go back and look look it up again. And where he says, I don't talk about you. I don't talk about you with your almond-shaped head ass. <laughs> Who the F do you think this is? I'll kick your ass twice. I don't talk about you. I don't talk about you. You little almond-shaped head ass. So the okay. whole almond-shaped head ass was okay. the part I had to look up again. Okay. Those are some words. <laughs> They're words. Well, when you're angry, you know, weird things come out of your mouth. <laughs> Sometimes the words don't always make a lot of sense. Yeah. So uh, towards the ending is, I think, what we would agree is our favorite part of the song, our favorite lyric from the song, where he says, B-O-B, spell it backwards. What does it say? <laughs> Same M-F-N. Yeah. Yeah. 
Great. We say that a lot every time we see someone named Bob or see <laughs> yeah. something spell that backwards, spell spell that backwards still the same thing. Okay. So it made me realize that when I was in high school and I worked at the Woolworths, uh-huh. there was a, another kid who worked at the Woolworths and our boss's name was Bob. Oh. And he said that line. Oh, B-O-B, spell it backwards. Uh-huh, still Bob. And I was like... I thought it was funny, but weird. And now I realize he's probably a Prince fan. Maybe so. Yeah. And he was trying to figure out if I was in the know. Oh, and of course, you were then not. I was not. Right. Like in 1993. Funny. Yeah. So it ends with this kind of laughter that is also on um, the first Madhouse album. Okay. As well. So that's what makes me think that the oh. operator sped up side of it was because you know when once prince found samples or side effects that he liked he would you know focus in on them and kind of study them and make use of them and use them in a bunch of different ways mm-hmm. um, so that also would not surprise me we'll have to confirm that but um yeah so we go from one maniacal song in bob george which to me should be the re- you know if there was a reason for him not to want to put this album out Maybe that's it. But then he turned around and played it, like you said, at every single Love Sexy show. So he wasn't completely against it or he would not have played it at all. Yeah, but he didn't end on that. And I think the idea was... This album didn't end on that song, though, either. No, but it didn't end on... His career didn't end on this album that he saw as largely negative. That he, he was afraid after he'd had this bad drug trip. Yeah. And was fearing death maybe more than he had ever in his life before that, that he could include this because it was not where the concert ended. So even if he died at the end of a concert or right in between concerts, it would still be love sexy. That was last unless he died during intermission. That's all fine and good. If you're a Prince fan, you're just like, man, I just want to hear some music. Yeah, that's fine. Whatever. Yeah. So from one maniac to another, super funky Califragisexy, yes. uh, which according to Prince Vault is the earliest song recorded on the album back in September of 1986. We know of Prince's love of movies and campy movies yes, and silly do. movies and here the title spoofs the Mary Poppins song Super Califragilistic Expialidocious. Even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious. Right. Yes. A lot of Prince fanatics will remember hearing portions of Super Funky Califragisexy in the song It's Gonna Be Be a Beautiful Night on the Sign of the Times concert film. Mm-hmm. Um, the If Your Body Gets Tired, Keep Dancing Because You Ought to Keep the Blood Flowing Down to Your Feet lyrics are used there. Um, so clearly when he was recording the Sign of the Times concert film, a lot of the Black Album was being worked on, finalized, because he worked in a, a lot of parts to it in the yeah. Sign of the Times movie, which is kind of fun. In his brain. Yeah. yeah. So the maniacal part I'm talking about is where the song starts off with Prince's crazy laughter. Yeah, it almost sounded a bit Batman-like. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just saw it as almost a carryover from... Uh, his character in Bob George. He doesn't yes. have the distorted voice anymore, but he's still not in his own mind. Right? Yes. I thought this song is interesting because it uses, the beat of it uses elements from Housequake and Another Lover Hole in Your Head for the drum pattern. 
It's like the third song in like a trilogy of another lover hole in your head, housequake, and this song kind of make a, I don't know, triangle shaped a thruple sister. Yeah, a, a triplet. Okay. They're sisters to one another. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Well, this song is definitely about the use of MDMA or ecstasy or Molly, yeah. whatever you're calling it. Mm-hmm. If your body needs water. If your body needs water, keep dancing because you ought to keep the blood flowing down to your feet. The drug is known to dehydrate you quite yeah. severely. Okay. Some, some of the people who have died from issues with this are because they drank too much water. They felt too thirsty yeah. because of the drug and then literally d- dilute their blood to the point where they're not able to survive. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. That shows you what I know about drugs. <laughs> not a lot. I've read about stuff. I don't know from experience. Obviously, since I'm still here, I didn't dehydrate myself. Good. And if you do too much, your skin will be sensitive to touch. Yeah. And the drug makes is known to be the love drug. Okay. That's what people call it. it. Makes you feel amorous. You're when oh. somebody touches you, it feels much more intense mm-hmm. than a normal sort of touch. It's so, not necessarily a sexual thing. It's just very you have very loving feelings, and mm. the, everything's heightened. All of your emotions and. Are your emotions heightened to the point where you're hallucinating about someone bringing around a bucket with squirrel meat in it? Okay, I have theories. That's, I figured. (laughs) I have theories. So, can't read my writing. Brother Maurice will be round in a minute with a bucket filled in it, squirrel meat. Brother Maurice will be round in a minute with a bucket filled in it, squirrel meat. The blood real good. Yes. Okay, so, Maurice could be a real guy. Could be. Walking around with a bucket of squirrel meat. Could, could be. be could be a real guy walking around with a bucket of drugs. Okay. Okay. Though Prince.org is the only place I saw that suggested squirrel meat was drugs. Okay. Or Brother Maurice could be Prince's favorite little guy. His private parts. Oh. Yes. All right. Okay. So squirrel meat. It's funky. Yeah. It's not necessarily good funky right. either, but it's something funky. It could be drugs. Mm-hmm. It could be vagina that would then be filled with Maurice. Whew. Yeah. So it could be a euphemism yeah. for yeah. Yeah. female genitalia. So there's a, there's a lot of possibilities going on there. Weird. Yeah. Very weird. It is weird. This is one of the weirdest Prince songs, <laughs> lyrically. Yeah. You know? Yeah. For sure. Well, especially when we get to the girl doesn't remember his name. Mm. They wake up in the morning after having been amorous because of all the ecstasy. Right. Yeah. He had a lot of insecurity even while he was high because, <laughs> because he had her ride out. That she was the best he ever had, because in my possession is a signed confession that says I was the best you'd ever had. Uh huh. Because in my possession is a signed confession that says I was the best you'd ever had. Too bad. So it doesn't matter if she doesn't remember his name. She signed it, which I'm like, Prince, it's not admissible in court. 
you sign things under the influence, yeah. you can't, you're not responsible. Well, again, I think we've covered that, you know, Paisley Park <laughs> SUV <laughs> had not been fully realized yet. So his understanding of law and order <laughs> might have been lacking. What, what contracts mean. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, I love, he get, we get a little music lesson though here. Like how long is a measure? Well, we can divide it out and see how long seven measures are because at four minutes and two seconds, he wants seven measures of his little rhythm guitar before someone screamed. Seven measures. I want somebody to scream. Uh-huh. And then he screams. Yes. So he's not relying on the high people. To know how long seven measures is. That's right. Well, he does say somebody. He doesn't say somebody besides me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of almost like the, in DMSR, when he like Mm -hmm. helped us wipe people out. Yeah. Helped us find the four. That's right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, then at the very end, we get him asking again in seven measures, I want somebody to... And then the song kind of cuts off. Yeah. And we get some party noises at the end with more squirrel meat references um, with a house quake beat going on in the background, essentially. And Prince trying to seduce Cat with no luck. Uh, and then saying, oh, I see. And I thought that was the beginning of Two Nicks for West Compton. No, That's I, how it imported in my... I don't know how the tracks are broken up because I wasn't really looking at my phone as I was listening to this, uh-huh. but... To me, that's always the end of Super Funky Califragisexy and Two Nigs United for West Compton starts when they say Two Nigs United for West Compton. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, that's not. That's how not it was, what you. That was not how it yeah. was broken up in my playlist. Well, you can tell me what it says, but I can tell you <laughs> what I hear. Well, that's that's fine. Yeah. And the other reason I think that is because it has the same beat going on in the background. Well, and it makes a lot more sense. Song. Makes mm-hmm. a lot more sense for yeah. that to be part of. Yeah. This always reminded me a little bit of the segue between I Know and Alphabet Street 2, where there's this okay. party song, party going on, and there's just conversations happening in the background that are that seem ad-libbed, but they're probably, you know, planned mm-hmm. quite well. Yeah. And you have Prince and his Muggsy voice. I want you to meet some friends of mine. <laughs> no, no, you'll like them. They're musicians. <laughs> Um, yeah, as if he's introduced a lot of non-musician friends to this person and they've not liked them in the past. Right. Yeah. And we have a serve it up Frankie. Yeah. Another Frankie mention. Mm-hmm. And this is and maybe a little more evidence that Maurice is Prince's little member. As he says, Maurice, what, what can I serve you? Uh-huh. And if squirrel meat is the answer and Maurice is his penis, then it seems that Mm. that would be a grouping that would make sense. (laughs) What would his little friend Maurice like? Well, he'd like some squirrel meat. Thank you very much. (sighs) All right. Yeah. So there we go. I didn't know that this was going to go in this direction. (laughs) I had no idea. (laughs) Things have taken a turn. They have. I like when uh, someone says, he called her bitch. Black old bitch. (laughs) There's a lot of things on this album that make me laugh. 
that I feel a little ashamed of ashamed laughing, at. laughing at. Yes, like a guilty. <laughs> it's like a guilty pleasure mm-hmm. kind of album with like Bob George makes me laugh. Although I am strongly against gun violence, not real thrilled with the idea of guns to begin with, and that's yeah. basically what the song circle circles around. Certainly, domestic violence is a terrible thing, yet it becomes humorous. Yeah, which I guess is pretty smart. It's it's in, it's not. It's not just abusive or making light of abuse. It is somehow with humor put in it, uh, something that Prince could make interesting to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like, you know, having a true crime podcast. Yeah. We laugh about ridiculous things while talking about some of the most horrible things ever. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, in on this album, I don't think anyone was hurt. N- no, yeah. this is true. This is true. This is all fictional. All right, so are we ready to move on to Two Nigs for West Compton since we decided that that portion was actually part of... Oh, we didn't decide it. I think it is. If you feel differently and it's cut up in the album differently, then that's okay, too. I believe you. Yeah. But yes, there's no denying that there are going to be like two or three men that are going to run into the room and just shout at you, Two Nigs United for West Compton! (laughs) Well, that's kind of why it was like... That's why it was kind of funny. Why it was like this party and they're talking about this stuff that kind of had to do with the song right before it. Mm -hmm. And then these two guys come in and yell about it. Two nigs united for West Compton. I would like people to comment on Facebook and Twitter. Do they think that this little party sound between between super funky Califragia sexy and two nigs united for West Compton, does it belong with... Two Nigs United for West Compton at the beginning, or does it belong at the end of Super Funky Califragisexy? Josh is firmly in the camp of... Oh, yeah. It's all part of Super Califragisexy. It's the end of of track six to me. Okay. And I don't care. (laughs) You don't care? I'm glad we (laughs) spent minutes discussing it. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't bother me either way. All right. So it's fine. Okay. So show me. I think there's this really cool, funky jam. Called Two Nigs United for West Compton? Yes. Okay. That's what what this is. Yeah. And there's this repeated guitar in the right channel. Uh Uh-huh. And it's it's from something else, and I cannot place it. Mm. I don't know what it is. I was like, you told me there was something you were having trouble placing and that you figured it out this morning. And I was really hoping that that was it. No, it is from the song, though. Okay. It's not the guitar part, which I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's actually the little baritone sax part that goes something like that. Okay. That I was trying to place, where have I heard that in Prince's music? There's this similar baritone sax jab or whatever you want to call it. And I could hear it in the breakdown of some other song. And I started going through, okay, I know it occurred after this. So let me go through albums, 88, 89, 90, 91. I couldn't find it, couldn't find it, couldn't find it. And it took me about 48 hours to realize I'm thinking of We Gets Up from Emancipation. There's a baritone sax part that starts in two nigs at about 57 seconds that is really similar to the sax part in We Gets Up that you can hear best 
at about two minutes and 39 seconds. And we gets up and in a breakdown at three minutes and 23 seconds and we gets up and I had never, and I don't even think that it's a callback or um, like he lifted part of two nigs for we gets up but there are musical similarities between the two. Okay. There may be guitar similarities also from what you're hearing. Okay. Maybe go back and listen to it and okay. see. Yeah. I'll have to see if I can figure that out. Yeah. So musically, this is like almost a seven minute long instrumental. There's a bass solo that you can watch Levi Caesar Jr. play in the Sign of the Times concert film that happens at two minutes and 45 seconds in this track. That's a lot of fun. So it's just another connection between Sound of the Times and this album. And at five minutes and 52 seconds, there's a drums and horn breakdown that's really fun and like all over the place with cowbells and mm-hmm. it's just kind of manic again. I was trying to compare this song to Madhouse, which I know we have not listened to as part of this soundtrack, but it, this one kind of falls outside of the Madhouse sound, which is jazzy and funky, but also a little more refined, where this song seems more frantic and less jazzy to me. There's nothing jazz about Tunings United for West Compton. It's no. an instrumental jam. Yeah, but it's super fun. Yeah. So it's, the, and I also think it's almost the most serious musical tune on the whole album as oh, far as absolutely. like musicianship goes and kind of sounds like a band, even though it's probably mostly Prince besides horns. And this song also appeared on the, uh, what is it? The One Night Alone live box set. Okay. But is completely different form. It's not <laughs> okay. anywhere near the same song. Okay. It's just, we're going to call it that because... He shouts it um, a couple times. Shoot, I don't remember. Is it One Night Alone or is it the Indigo Nights CD? I don't know. Somewhere where he plays a live performance that yeah. he then put on CD. It was a, it was a released version, but okay. he calls out, Two Nigs United for West Compton, and it's, but it's not the same song. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you can correct me on that on Facebook, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let us know where Go you ahead. think that's from. Then we come to the final song on the album, Rock Hard in a Funky Place. On my bootleg version of this, it was listed as Hard Rock in a Funky Place. Oh, somebody did a little inversion there. Yeah, yeah. someone who was not a fan put that together. <laughs> so what did I write down? I wrote down, uh, oh, if I had to write down a summary of the song in one sentence, it's <laughs> it's a man's ill-prepared journey through a funky whorehouse. <laughs> it sounds like one of the bad <laughs> descriptions from a Seinfeld movie. Yes. You or, know, yes. they had the terrible yes. movies that Sack were all lunch. <laughs> Rochelle, Rochelle. <laughs> journey from Milan to Minsk. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it would be like a Netflix, Netflix preview for, for this song. <laughs> would be something like that. That's good. All right. The horns from this yep. appeared in the Sign of the Times movie in I Could Never Take the Place of Your Man. Yeah, super and, slow. Mm-hmm, and this horn arrangement was something that Eric Leeds had written called Pacemaker. Yep, long before. Mm-hmm. 
I hear elements of la 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 he 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 in the oh, song. Oh yeah. There's you know uh, where he's a dog and you're a cat and climb up my tree and I kind of hear some of that in this. This song was also placed on a configuration of the Camille album, which also was unreleased. So he is definitely singing in his Camille'd voice yes. throughout this song. It has some funny lyrics. It sure does. <laughs> a good first question if you're going to be someone ill-prepared in a whorehouse is, uh-huh. does anybody know you're here? <laughs> does anybody know you're here? This house of ill repute. Uh-huh. Banana cologne. Yeah, you told me that you looked this up, so I didn't bother okay. trying to even think about soaked in banana cologne. No wonder you're all alone. Soaked in banana cologne. No wonder you're all Okay, so I have ideas on what this might mean, but I think I'll let you okay. tell me what research well, I could, showed. Well, I couldn't find anything specifically okay. that said banana cologne was what I think it is. I think it's a euphemism for ejaculate. Yeah, I believe that's yes. true. That yes. was going to be my guess is yes. that you are you have a rusty load. <laughs> <laughs> sure. There is there's a, a side note. Okay. Uh, Humphrey's Handmade, which sells on eBay, I believe, has a handmade soap that's called Euphemism that smells like bananas. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> if you need an idea which for a funny. stocking stuffer this year. <laughs> I thought that was funny, but I really think that that's what it is. Though there are a number of colognes that do smell like bananas it's a not unpopular scent it's unpopular with me okay well duly noted all right but uh yeah i think that's why it's not because people don't like the smell of bananas that they're they're giving this gentleman a wide berth yeah it's that he's unable to control his i see emissions yeah okay yeah Makes sense. Yes. And then we that gets uh, supported by the idea of here comes a lady, so yep, you, you cover, cover up. up. Yeah. Here comes a lady, so you cover up. Couldn't cop if you wanted to because something near your leg is haunting you. Yeah. Such a disgrace. You rock hard in a funky place. He doesn't yep. get out much. He does not. And yeah. he's easily excited. Yes. You could cop if you wanted to. Which, you know, we're not going to hold that against anybody. That's fine. He might like to hold it against somebody, but (laughs) that's what she said. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Michael Scott, for Michelle Scott, for making an appearance (laughs) on our podcast. I love he's just contemplating things, trying to figure out how to meet someone. And Prince sings, you was working on a line you could drop on her, but you couldn't concentrate when your dick's so hard. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe if you drop a nut in the car, maybe you could think about playing guitar. I think and it's then we have... maybe if you cop a nut in oh, the car. did I which say drop a nut? You did. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's at the place in his life where one of his nuts have already dropped. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're right. It could be wrong. I, I just read that wrong, wrong, but yes, 
But I really liked that the guitar was like a little whiny. Yeah. And it was like desire and frustration, which mm. I was like, mm. that's oh, yeah. so interesting that Very I true. get desire and frustration from a guitar. Yeah. Yeah, I was song, just kind of amazed. In a song and about desire and frustration. Ex- exactly. Yeah, from two minutes and two seconds to two minutes and 47 seconds. That guitar solo, to me, is the best guitar solo on the whole album. And mm-hmm. an album that's not really full of guitar solos either. It's all very buried guitar work, but mm-hmm. um, it's loud and proud on this song. Yes. And then we get some kind of unexpectedly empathetic and almost sweetly sung lyrics. Sure. I know which one you're going for. Yeah, we're... All you're looking for is love or return or a reason to believe in God above. Pretty soon you'll get enough and head back to a life so tough. All you're looking for is love or a reason to believe there's a God above. Pretty soon you'll get enough and head back to a life so tough. Yes, followed sweetly by, I just hate to see an erection go to waste. <laughs> I'm just a rock hard in a funky place. <laughs> I just hate to see an erection go to waste. I'm just a rock hard in a funky place. So yeah, it's, um, I don't know, if you want to dig real deep into a song that I don't think has a lot of deep meaning, it's about making the most of your opportunities and not being a bystander. Yes, agreed. Um, so then we get a lot of chanting and rock, rock kind of things and then prince promising to tune in next week same time same boogie mm-hmm. we'll rock y'all but till then keep your finger on the trigger that's the only way it'll get bigger <laughs> <laughs> so the song fades out and then fades back in and on a lot of copies of the bootleg this little part wasn't present um but prince poses a question as it fades back in for a minute what kind of f ending was that which i think is funny so he's almost making a commentary on the album that you just sat through yeah yep all right well we've covered everything we're going to cover for this episode all the songs from the black album so it's time for us to make some selections all right we choose three things for Every episode, we choose a time capsule, something that exemplifies the time at which the album was recorded or when it was released, which is uh, quite a number of years difference here. So this one will be interesting. And then the C, the thing that we like the least, not that it's necessarily bad. It could be bad, but it's just the thing that the host making the selection liked the least. And the mountain, the thing that we each like the most. Right. These are my rules. I go first. That's right. My... I, just, I just live with the rules. <laughs> the time capsule. My time capsule is Cindy C. Really? Yes. Well, I could see that. Because, yeah. Oh, I could see that. See uh, what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she was really ushering in the age of the supermodel, and her career was budding. In the late 80s, it was in full swing in 94 when this album eventually came out. So it just really spoke to that time that, as you mentioned, if there's somebody who was born in the mid to late 90s, 
who's a Prince fan, they might not have it a frame take, of reference. Yeah, they might it have would to take a minute or a second of research to yeah. figure out why, who is this song about and yeah. why. Yeah. Or was it, is it just a made up right. name yeah. by Prince? Did he just, yeah. Yeah. He did not make it up. No, he didn't. Nope. My time, time capsule is uh, when two are in love. It was okay. good enough to be on two Prince albums. It was the only holdout from the black album to make it on to Love Sexy and then appeared again um, in 1994 on the official release of the Black Album. So yep. that was that's the one that makes me think of this time period the most is When Two Are In Love. Yeah. It's the one bridge from the Black Album to Love Sexy. Very cool. All right, the C. Oh, despite the fact that it's got a fantastic line in it and that it's funny in a lot of ways. I, my C has to be Bob George. Okay. The jealousy and the violence. I just, yeah, I didn't love it in when we watched the love sexy tour back when we first started this podcast. Yeah. It was troubling. I still don't, I still find it troubling. Okay. So, but well, that skinny MFR with the high voice is truly, truly funny. That is funny. And I think B-O-B, spell it backwards, what do you get? Yeah. Same MF and S. I could see that. And to his credit, he put the kibosh on the album. Yeah. Right? And then it was like a monetary thing and then a contractual thing when it came out. So maybe he felt the same way you did, even though he performed it how many times on yeah. a Love Sexy Tour? 100? For me, it's hard to pick a low point on an album like this. I do agree with a lot of critics that say it lost, you know, its edginess in the seven years that passed between its intended release and when it did surface. Um, And it surfaced at a time when Prince was, you know, behaving oddly publicly and going through this name change and fighting with Warner Brothers, which was real important to him. Majority of music listeners really didn't care and didn't understand it. I think it's consistent and fun. There's not a super high or a super low low point on it. So my C is a technicality on Bob George (laughs) that has nothing to do with the uh, domestic abuse stuff. But towards the end, as he's getting angry and the song's coming to an end, there's this swirling sound in the drums that really annoys me. It kind of sounds like there's a glitch in the drum track at the end where they used to be real hard hitting drums at the end. They kind of get weak and sound like they're underwater a little bit like at five minutes and 20 seconds. If you listen to the drums, they get soft and fluttery. Okay. And it bugs me a lot. Okay. There's my C it's a part of the song that you listed as your C. So Fair. I guess we sort of agree. It's fine if you want to just pick up portion of it. That's it's, you know, half your podcast, you get to make whatever choice you sure. like. I've just listened to it. I mean, when I first heard this album, I didn't know enough to think, Oh, that's insensitive or that sounds <laughs> abusive or that's unfair to women. That was not yeah. in my mindset at the age of, 15, 16, when the bootleg surfaced and I got my cassette copy of it and was listening to it, all I wanted to hear was Prince music. Right. Um, I wasn't, you know, listening for uh, ramifications of what was being sung. I was just singing along. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so it's hard to see it differently now. All right. And then the mountain, the thing that we like the most. Yeah. 
rock hard in a funky place. Really? <laughs> yes, because it's funky, as implied by the name. Yes. But it's funny and dirty and even a little bit sweet in places. Uh-huh. And it's great. And I think I would have really liked a Camille album. So, Well, you can listen to it today if you like. I could not even begin to guess what you might have picked for your mountain. We have, This is not an album that we really have discussed at all. No. Outside of you saying and me agreeing that, you know, the its elusiveness is what makes it legendary, not because it's a great album or yeah. because it has a Purple Rain on it, because it does not. It was probably one of the first albums since Purple Rain that didn't try to kind of fill that Purple Rain void on an album or make some soaring ballad or, you know, the there, there's not a title track, of course, so... Um, that's interesting. And it's really with the first Prince song, Prince album release that didn't have a title track outside of Prince, his second mm-hmm. album, because there wasn't a song called Prince on it. So for me, um, yeah. I went with La Grind, okay. particularly the hidden spoken intro, which sums up the album's legendary status, you know, yes. by itself and him proclaiming it the new funk Bible. It's amazing that, you know, to think of Prince putting Bob George in the Bible of any kind. Sounds ridiculous now. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like I said, I agreed with you that it's legend. It's legendary because of its mystery, not really because of its contents. And, you know, the stories about it being pulled and how quickly Prince put together Love Sexy in a matter of months to replace it. And had they not printed hundreds of thousands of copies, probably Warner Brothers relief that, oh, okay, Prince doesn't want to release another album yeah. nine months after a double album. Uh, we'll have a little bit more time to let things kind of settle before we, you know, uh-huh. start, start promoting, promoting another another album. Yeah. Yep. So for me, give me the grind. That's great. Excellent. Next time. Next time. Man, we need a break. It's the holidays. <laughs> it is, it's the holidays. So. Yep. I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna reload. Our very first episode, put clips in and... Yeah, uh, our very first episode was Love Sexy, so yep. it's nicely connected to the Black Album. But when we recorded that first podcast, we were not including clips of songs to further explain our thoughts on things. So uh, you've done this once before with the Love Symbol Album, mm-hmm. and I love last listening Christmas. to it last Christmas. So it'll be fun to follow up the Black Album with a reloaded episode of Love Sexy for the holiday season. Yes, and we'd like to wish you a very Merry Christmas. As Happy this everything. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is that you're celebrating. If you're not celebrating, happy winter. Yeah. A sad winter. We hope it comes to a quick conclusion if you don't like winter. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. So join us next time for that. And when we return in January. We'll be looking at 1999 Super Deluxe. Yes, we We will. We are not going to pretend that we got advanced copies or had the time or energy to put together reviews of it in the immediacy of its release. So we're going to take our time and digest some of those vault tracks maybe give a listener to to the remastered album itself and there's a couple of concerts included on 1999 super deluxe uh so we will start our coverage of that in the new year yes sounds great thanks so much for listening we know you make a choice when you listen to us we don't just come on the radio and we so appreciate you making that choice if you'd rate and review that'd be super helpful it does help people find us and you know what helps people find us even more is when you tell a friend you know you have a purple friend somewhere who you'd like to 
talk about what we talk about. Oh, yeah. I don't know who needs to hear this, but you need a Prince podcast in your life. (laughs) Thanks so much. Happy holidays. And we'll be back at you in the new year. Thanks for listening. Forge Audio. Dream it. Build it. Share it.